You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. diving into these, these prophetic announcements that anticipate the birth of Jesus Christ, which of course we celebrate uh, during this Christmas season. So uh, as we turn to the book of Isaiah, let me invite you to turn there. We're going to read all of chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to go through 1 through 16. And let me read the, the word of the Lord for us, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive in to see what this passage has to teach us about Christ this morning. So Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant, the remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations, and he will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east, and they shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals, and there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land 
of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Father, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, Lord, we are overjoyed as we have sung, as we have heard from Luke 2, Lord, the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are so grateful for, for the gift that he is to us. Lord, he is our Savior, he is our God, he is our King. And Father, we are grateful for the words of the prophet Isaiah here in chapter 11. And Father, this passage so powerfully describes the, the very nature of this King, Jesus, whom we are gathered to worship this very day. And so, Father, I pray that as we uh, dive into this text, as I attempt to expound it with the help of your Spirit, Father, Lord, and bring the truths of your word upon your people's hearts, Father, I pray that, that their affections for Christ would be stirred and deepened. Father, I pray that we would all leave this place more in love with Christ, longing for his return even more. And Father, I do pray even for those this morning who might not know Christ. Father, I pray that they would hear the good news of the arrival of your King. And Father, they would so repent and believe in Christ this morning. So Father, we pray that you would accomplish all that you will desire to do through this text this morning in the hearts of your people. And Lord, be with me as I attempt to herald the good news of Christ from it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, Christmas really is a, a wonderful time of year. And, you know, the Christmas season just kind of exudes a, a quaintness, a peaceableness about this, this season. I mean, Christmas for, for everybody just tends to, to bubble up these expressions of, of hope and yearning and longing and desire. And, you know, our culture feels this, even though they don't really know why they feel that way. And they don't really know exactly why they want to express that that yearning and that hope that tends to just come up in our hearts this time of year. You know, because much of the, the biblical content for Christmas has really been abandoned by our secular world. And so what remains for so many who don't know Christ in this time of year, it's, it's kind of these strange myths of, of elves and trees and reindeers and stockings and, and presents, this own mythology of Christmas that has, has developed and but yet, even still, in, in the often de-Christianization of, of Christmas that's taking place today, people still yearn for grace, for generosity, for harmony, for peace. And I believe that that longing that, that tends to be universal in every human heart, I believe that's part of the way God, God made us. I think it's part of what it means to be made in the image of God to desire these things. Because innate within us, within every human being, there's this, this restlessness because I think every human being knows innately because we're born in the image of God, we know that this, this world is not as it should be. This world is far from as God intended it. And, and so we tend to, to long in this broken world, we long for this, this unity, this harmony, this selflessness in our society that we particularly tend to long for in the month of December as we celebrate Christmas as a society. But this, this secular spirit of Christmas is often juxtaposed with the carnality and brutality of human evil, exhibited day by day, night after night in the world, even now as we speak. You see, people often mask this tension, this desire for hope, this desire for peace, this desire for, for harmony. We, we mask that tension 
in a lot of different ways. But as Christians, we, we know that tension is there. We feel the brokenness of the world. We know that the world is not as it should be. And of course, interestingly, the antidote to the problems of this world is often the same for secular people as it is for Christian people. For those who reject God, they say that the issues of society is resolved by government. We need a good government that solves the problem of injustice, poverty, illiteracy, and greed. And of course, humanity has come up with all different methods of government to try to bring about these, these good effects, to, to bring about the best in humanity. And as Christians, you might be surprised that we too believe that the problems of this world is addressed by government. However, we do not think the solution will come through any human government, but by the government of Christ. Christ is the king. That our hope, this longing that we express this time of year for peace, for joy, for unity, that this restoration of harmony in this world, we believe that it, it only comes through Jesus Christ himself. And that this effect will only come about when God affirms and consummates the kingdom of the rightful king of this world. And as Christians, we know this, we believe this, and I think this longing in our hearts is particularly pronounced this time of year during this Christmas Advent season. And here I think one of Charles Wesley's famous Christmas hymns I think really gets to the heart of the way you and I think and feel this time of year, this Christmas season. And you're familiar with this, this song, Come, Thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, from our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, Rule in all our hearts alone, by thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. And those are beautiful, beautiful words, right? That, that describe this, this season of longing and yearning in our hearts. And so as we remember and celebrate this Christmas season, the first advent, the first coming of Christ, we also need to long for the second advent of Christ for the return of Christ, in which Jesus will establish his kingdom and all its power in the world. And so we celebrate the gift of God's king, even as we long for the return of that king. And it's interesting as we look at the book of Isaiah, the, the aspects of the first and second advent of Christ are often intertwined in the way that Isaiah speaks his prophecy of the coming of Jesus. And so this really leads us into the scripture text this morning of Isaiah chapter 11. And in this section of Isaiah, we're given this, this wonderful, beautiful prophecy of the Messiah, of his unique identity and what he will bring, this hope, this longing that he will bring in the world. And we will discover this prophecy in Isaiah 11 is fulfilled in the Christ child, Emmanuel, Jesus of Nazareth. And so as we look to this text, I pray that that above all, that you would just leave this morning in awe, amazed of who Jesus is. 
and that you would swell in your hearts with gratefulness to the gift of God in Jesus, but also longing for his return with greater enthusiasm and expectancy. So sermon summary is really simple. It's this, Jesus is the promised Messiah and the glorious King. He is the promised Messiah and the glorious King. As we work through Isaiah 11 this morning, I'm going to give you six aspects of Jesus' identity as this promised Messiah and glorious King. So let's look at six aspects that Isaiah brings out for us about Jesus' identity as our King, as our Messiah. So Jesus is the promised Messiah and the glorious King. Let's talk about the first one from the text right off the bat in verse 1, and we see that Jesus is the branch from Jesse. He is the branch from Jesse. What in the world does that mean? So as we jump in to Isaiah 11, it's helpful if we know a little bit of the context going on in the book of Isaiah, building up to chapter 11. So, so far, if you remember a little bit, we talked about this last week, but Isaiah has been, been giving Israel some very grim news. The Lord is cutting down Israel, that the Lord is taking an axe to his vineyard, as Isaiah is given his prophetic call, the Lord tells them that he's going to preach his message and there won't be a response. So flip over just a couple pages. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is such a, a wonderful passage in which we see Isaiah have this heavenly vision, sees the seraphim, they're singing holy, 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 right? And we see that, that Isaiah accepts the call, here I am, Lord, right? And then we usually just stop. <laughs> Because we don't keep reading the rest of Isaiah 6 because, I, because the Lord says, Isaiah, I'm going to send you, but the people are not going to respond. Look at Isaiah 6, verse 11 through 13. Look at what, what the Lord tells Isaiah. He says, Isaiah preached this message until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. What, what does God tell Isaiah here? He says, Isaiah, I want to send you to go preach this, this message for my people, but God says, I'm going to cut down Israel like a wasteland. It will be like a tree cut down, leaving only a stump behind. And again, as you continue, like in the book of Isaiah, as you go from Isaiah 6 to Isaiah 7, we see that in Isaiah 7, we see that this threat of the Assyrian invasion that is coming and hangering, hanging over Israel and destruction is looming and, and God offers King Ahaz, you might remember, a, a sign. And I, Ahaz rejects that sign, says, Lord, I don't need that sign and, and really distrusts the Lord. And so therefore we see the Lord is bringing judgment upon Israel and he will chop down Israel like a stump. And this is a bitter word of judgment. This is, this is a word of judgment for God's people. And even in the midst of that bitter judgment, we see in Isaiah 7, the hope of Emmanuel, the sign of this Emmanuel child that is prophesied there. And in chapter 9, if you were here last week, you'll remember we discovered more about the identity of this Emmanuel child as the promised Messiah. And as you go into Isaiah 10, we see the Lord says that Assyria is going to be judged as well, that Assyria 
will experience the judgment of God. Yes, they'll be used by God to bring judgment upon his people. But the Lord says, guess what, Assyria? I'm, I'm mowing you down as well, right? I'm cutting down your forest, cutting down your trees. Uh, I'm going to make you a stump as well. And so the Lord describes Assyria's pride and arrogance like a forest. And if you look at the very end, Isaiah 10, verse 34, right before chapter 11, look at what God says. He says, you will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So God, the lumberjack, is coming, and he is cutting down God's people. He's cutting down Assyria. We see that he is bringing judgment upon the people. So the, the Lord is wielding his axe. He's cutting down both Assyria and Israel. Judgment is coming for both. However, while judgment is coming to both, only Israel receives a word of hope and of restoration. Judgment is coming for both, but only Israel receives this promise of hope and restoration. And as Isaiah 11 begins, we see that the Lord has not abandoned his covenant promises to his covenant people. And so look at the beginning of chapter 11.1, knowing the context. Imagine how beautiful this would be to hear for the first time if you're a, a, a person of Israel and you're reading Isaiah for the first time, imagine the hope you would feel in verse 1 of chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. You see, what Isaiah is telling us here, the wonderful good news is that from the stump of God's judgment, new hope will spring forth. Hope will spring forth. That reckoning is coming for God's people. Yes, it is, but but Isaiah says restoration is coming too. And we see that this shoot comes from the stump of Jesse. Now, who, who was Jesse? Well, if you know a little bit about the Old Testament, you'll know that Jesse was the father of, of King David. And it was to David that God gave the promise of his dynasty, that his dynasty will endure forever. And we see that the coming Messiah will be of the lineage of David and fulfill the covenant promises that God made with his servant David. However, it's, it's not by accident that Isaiah refers to the stump of Jesse, not to the stump of David. And why does he do this? Well, D Isaiah is almost intentionally downplaying the house of David. In other words, he's, he's trying to help us understand that this future Messiah is not going to come with the pomp of royalty. This Messiah will come from the unexpected home of poverty. Just as the mighty King David began as a humble shepherd in the house of Israel, so too will the promised Messiah come from the most unexpected of conditions. Not born in a palace for a king, but born in a stable in the little town of Bethlehem. He will not be raised in a home of political power and wealth, but rather the Messiah would be a poor Jewish carpenter trained by his father. You see, Jesus is, is this branch. He is this branch from Jesse that, that sprouts from the stump of God's judgment. And from this sprout would grow true Israel, a newer and better kingdom filled with the people of God. And as we see the New Testament 
greater expand upon these promises. We see that the Gentiles themselves are going to be grafted into this, this vine. He is the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. And we have, in Christ have become the branches of that vine. And Jesus is the branch from Jesse upon which all of God's promises to Israel find their fulfillment. You see, Jesus is proof that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And that leads us to a second aspect of Jesus' identity this morning, is that Jesus is the Spirit-filled Messiah. Jesus is the Spirit-filled Messiah. This is a second aspect of Jesus' identity. In verse 2, look at how Isaiah describes him. He describes him as having the Spirit of God rest upon him at the beginning of verse 2. And this is what makes Jesus an altogether different type of king, different kind of king. After all, there have been many sons of David throughout Judah's history and Israel's history, right? There, there's been many of them. And as there have been many sons of David, these kings have recurrently proven to be a major disappointment, haven't they? Even the good kings, even the good ones had major faults, major sins, major shortcomings and disappointments, even, even David himself had this gigantic moral failure in terms of his sin with Bathsheba and his conspiracy to cover it up. So what makes Jesus, this Messiah here, an altogether different kind of king, the perfect king, the king that we long for? And we see that what makes Jesus unique is that the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, guided by the spirit Jesus will rule with perfect wisdom and perfect understanding, with perfect counsel, with perfect might. He will possess all true knowledge. Jesus is a fearsome, wise king. You know, I think in, in many ways we've, we've kind of domesticated Jesus and how we think about him. You know, we kind of think of Jesus as a, a nice, sweet person, sort of like your, your grandmother, right? <laughs> now, I love my grandma more than anything, but I don't trust her to rule the world, right? <laughs> Grandmas are great, but I don't want my grandma to be president anytime soon, right? And as we think about Jesus, I think sometimes we can just kind of make him this little nice guy over here, but we don't realize that Jesus is the competent and wise king. He is skilled in knowledge. He is filled and guided by the Spirit of God. And so as he governs, as he rules, he will do so with perfect goodness, perfect righteousness. You know, it's, it's impossible for, for us to even imagine a king with this level of competence and skill and wisdom who is filled with the Spirit of God. It's hard for us to imagine that, particularly as we, we look at even our own political scene and we look at the incompetence of our political leaders today. But yet Jesus is the spirit-filled king who fears the Lord, and he will rule in such a way that he will please his Father in heaven. Indeed, the reign of God over the world will happen through the reign of King Jesus. And of course, as we look to the New Testament, we see Jesus grows up, right? He, he's born, he grows up, and then he is baptized and at Jesus' baptized at the hands of John the Baptist, we see the Father not only delight and express and announce his, his pleasure and delight in his Son, but what do we also see? We see the Spirit of God descend upon Christ 
like a dove, anointing him as the rightful spirit-filled king. And we see that Isaiah says in verse 3 that his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And this is what makes King Jesus so different than every other king in Israel's history, every other political leader we've ever known, particularly guys like King Ahaz, which are in such contrast to this promised Messiah in Isaiah, because Ahaz distrusted the Lord. He didn't want anything to do with God. He ignored the Lord. He wasn't led by the spirit of the Lord. He was led by a spirit of fear. And he was led by a spirit of his own pride, his own sinfulness. But yet, the king that Israel needs, the king that it truly longs for, the king that you and I long for, the king that you and I need, this is a king who rules by the wisdom of God and has God's spirit and who leads in a way that honors and glorifies God. See, this means that Jesus is a king you can trust. You can trust. He's reliable. He is of perfect character and righteousness. He is filled with the Spirit of God to lead you, to protect you, to care for you. And then as we live in a world in which it's so hard to know who can we trust and who can't we trust, this is a glorious promise for us this Christmas season is is that you can trust Christ You can trust his kingship. You can trust his rule over your life as good for you and for his kingdom because he is a king who is filled by the spirit of God and who always leads us in a way that brings glory to his father in heaven. And so because Jesus is that spirit-filled Messiah, we also see a third aspect of Jesus' identity here as the righteous judge. Jesus is the righteous judge. The righteous judge. See, one of the defining characteristics of the Messiah is his righteous rule. In fact, his his righteousness is such an essential component of his deity, of his identity. He he wears his righteousness around like like a belt. And so guided by the Spirit of the Lord, we see that Isaiah says Jesus is going to execute perfect justice in all of his judgments. And we see this description of the Messiah, of Jesus, and that he will possess discernment that no human judge could ever possess. Look at what it says in in verse 3 there. Isaiah says, He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Now, human courts are always limited in their execution of justice. Not only are human courts incapable of providing true retributive justice, but the judgment of human judges is always fallible, aren't they? Even if the judge is a good guy or good lady, righteous, good, intending to do well to others, a human judge has finite knowledge and perspective, don't they? They don't know everything. They weren't there. They can only make judgments based off of the conclusion of clear evidence that's brought to them in the courtroom. They have to judge by what their eyes see and what their ears hear. That's that's all they can do. However, the Messiah is something different, isn't he? He will not make his judgment based only on evidence. Sure, he'll have evidence, but he doesn't need it, right? Instead, he is able to see the heart and the intentions of humanity. He is the all-knowing, and his knowledge is not contingent on whether there's evidence available or not. He knows all. And because of his perfect character and his complete knowledge, he can bring judgment in such a way that will only bring about perfect justice. Perfect justice. And Isaiah celebrates that 
That because King Jesus, because this Messiah is perfect in his judgment and his justice, that he will give attention to deciding the disputes of the poor and the meek. You know, I think every human king, at least every good human king, desires to care for the lowly of society, don't they? I mean, so much of a a king's time, though, is, is caught up in trying to protect his reign, protect his influence, protect his political power. Like if you're a king in this world, like one of, your, one of the things that takes up your time most is, is politicking, right? Working with the political class, making sure they're happy in hopes that you can stay in power as king, right? If you're a king today, that's kind of what's taken up the majority of your time. And the same is true today, that our politicians may, may try to convince us otherwise, but, but their attention and concern often go to the lobbyists, right? The political class who have money, who can payroll their next campaign for re-election. But not so with, with Christ. He doesn't have to politic. He didn't have to run for election, right? He, he doesn't play favorites based off of how much money they're going to give him, right? He's not going to be sucked up into the crony sh- shenanigans of political jockeying. In Christ's kingdom, there are going to be no backroom political deals. There's not going to be any need for him, right? Christ's authority and power will not be contingent upon a wealthy or political class. Therefore, he can give attention. He can care. He can be concerned. He can invest himself in the lowly and in the meek of society. This means that Jesus cares for you. It means that Jesus has a vested interest in your concerns. He is attentive to you. He is attentive to your needs. He is the king who humbles himself to care for for us, for the lowly. He sets aside his prestige as the God king, right? He sets aside his prestige and he stoops low to save sinners like you and me. The lowly Christ humiliates himself to such a lavish extent that he picks up his cross and marches up to Golgotha to be crucified for you and for me. You see, Christ is a king who is overflowing with love for the lowly, for the broken, for the despised and rejected of this world. And he executed his judgment with perfect authority, absolute authority. And as Isaiah describes the the justice of this king, we see that his verdict will be like a rod that strikes the earth. And that when this Messiah speaks, guess what? Everyone's going to listen. Everyone's going to listen. And no one will question his judgment You see, Jesus' righteousness is so essential to his character that that he'll literally wear it around like a belt upon his waist. Jesus is the righteous judge, and he alone will bring justice to the earth. And that leads to a fourth aspect of Jesus' identity here, is that Jesus is the peacemaker. He's the peacemaker. We see this in verse 6 through 9 that Jesus and his rule will bring supernatural peace upon the world. Supernatural peace upon the world. Verse 6 through 9 is often quoted of what will happen during the reign of Christ. And we see that the, the extent of the peace that Jesus will bring upon the world extends all the way to the animal kingdom itself. And that the animals themselves will be at peace with one another. The very nature of these creatures will be transformed on that day, restored to their original state of calm before the entrance of human sin into the world. The wolf and the lamb will lie together. 
The leopard shall rest with the goat. The calf and the lion will lie down together. Both predator and prey will live in peace and in harmony together during the reign of the Messiah. We see the lion will eat straw like the ox. You see, the peace and safety of this age will be of such an extent that a baby will play with snakes by the adder's den. Now, a baby playing with snakes, I think that's an image that would send a shiver down a new mother's spine. But yet on that day, when Christ's reign is established, the cosmos itself will be at peace. It's hard for us to imagine what that would be like. And if creation itself, as Isaiah describes, is at this sort of peace, how much more will humanity be at peace with each other? Just as the very nature of these creatures are changed in the reign of Christ, so too will the the hearts of God's people. The wicked, of course, will be confined to judgment, but the righteous will fill the earth. And the work of sanctification that God has begun in our lives in Christ, that will be complete and we will be glorified saints and glorified bodies and we will glory in our God with our King for all of eternity. You see, there will be no hurt or destruction, no fear. Instead, we see, as Isaiah describes, the end of verse 9, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a beautiful image to describe what that day will be like. That the entire earth, the entire earth will be an expanse of people who know the Lord and who are walking in increasing knowledge of the Lord. You see, God is an inexhaustible fountain, overflowing, and we will spend all eternity learning and being in awe over who he is. You see, Christianity is not some privatized religion. Instead, what the gospel is aiming to do is it's transform individual lives, but God's ultimate plan is to bring about global transformation, to change the world, to restore it to its original design and intention to bring global transformation through his king. And as we think about, well, how is that coming? How is this transformation of the world, this peace that Isaiah describes, how is it going to come? Well, look at verse 6. Isaiah tells us, it says, a little child shall lead them. You see, this is the Emmanuel child, the promised Christ child. He will be the one who is the maker of this peace. It is through Jesus alone that the entire world will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And it is through Christ alone that the world will be at peace. You see, Jesus is the peacemaker that we long for. And this leads us to a fifth aspect of Jesus' identity in the passage. And I thought about stopping there at, 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 uh, at point number four, but I said, well, I just, the rest of the chapter is so good, I just can't stop. So, so bear with me as we look at these last, last two points here, but these are so amazing as we think about who Jesus is this time of year. And fifth, we see Jesus is the signal for the peoples. He is the signal for the peoples, verse, verse 10 through 14. Sees this signal, this banner, this flag, this ensign that, that marks the way to true rest, the true rest for which we long. Look at verse 10. Isaiah picks back up this image of the root of Jesse, right? He says, In the day, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be 
glorious. You see, the Messiah will be more than just the king of Israel. He will be king over all the peoples of the earth. He will be the signal lifted that gathers the true people of God from every tribe, tongue, and language, as the New Testament describes. And we see here in Isaiah that he will be lifted up. He will be a signal that gathers these people and that the return of Christ will be the sign that the remnant of God's people scattered throughout the nations of the earth will be gathered together. He will gather the remains of his people, Isaiah says. Look at verse 11, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. What's going on here? is that this Messiah is the sign of salvation and he's gathering the peoples of the earth as he establishes his kingdom. And so what is this sign? The sign of salvation is Christ himself. It's his cross that Jesus is the Messiah who was lifted up on Golgotha's hill, crucified before the watching world. And as, as we look to the sign of the cross, as we look to the atonement that Jesus provides, as the nations of the earth look to him, they will find salvation. They will find forgiveness and redemption, and they will be made citizens of this eternal kingdom of peace. The cross is the banner of Christ. And upon the cross, Jesus took on the sins of the world and provided atonement for sin. And it is through the cross of Christ that Jesus lays the bloody cornerstone of his kingdom. When Francis Scott Key, who wrote the, the national anthem, the American national anthem, he was a prisoner on a British warship when he wrote it during the War of 1812. And it was there that Key penned those words that, that we were familiar with. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. And as Christians, that's much more intense for us, isn't it? Because as Christians, the flag of Christ's kingdom is flying. It's up. The kingdom is here. Jesus has come, and the kingdom is coming, and the king is returning. And even through all the darkness and baggage and evil that we see in this world now and then, we must remember that the flag of Christ, the sign of Christ, is up in the air. And so though we await, even now, with great longing for the full realization of his holy country to come at Christ's return. We do that through every trial, every suffering, everything we encounter in this evil age. We know that the flag of Christ still stands. It's still raised. That Jesus is the ensign of our future hope. He is the signal for the people of God that the kingdom is here and it is coming. And the king will be returning soon. He gathers the people. Christ does. He gathers, gathers them together. He gathers them not through military might and aggression, but Jesus gathers them through his humble, sacrificial dying and his love for sinners. You see, the signal is raised. Christ has been crucified. And this morning, if you long for peace, you must look to Christ. Look to Christ and live. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. And on that day of his return, that day that is coming soon, on that day, you will be one of those remnants scattered across the world and you will be gathered and the signal of hope is given. And it's a signal of future rest found in Jesus. And that leads to a sixth aspect of Jesus' identity. I'm gonna draw out from us from this passage. 
And it's that Jesus is the highway to the land of promise. Jesus is the highway to the land of promise. And this aspect of, of Jesus' identity is so wonderful. Jesus is the highway to our God, and he's highway to the land of rest. That Jesus alone brings us to the place of true rest, a sweet kingdom of peace and of comfort. Look at verse 15 and verse 16 of the passage here. We see that this, this imagery calls back to the Exodus event. So think back to, to the, the, the book of Exodus, right? And we see that Israel is brought out of the land of Egypt, passing through the waters on dry land. We see Isaiah using that image as describing something very, very similar is going to happen again. That God is going to make a highway for his people through the waters. He's, his people will walk across in sandals on the dry land. And so in the same way, Isaiah is anticipating a new exodus, a new highway for God's people, that God is going to bring them out of the land of, of judgment and Assyria that's been scattered all across the world. God is going to bring them back and make a way for them to return to this land of eternal rest. Church, greener pastures await us, and the shepherd king will be the one who leads us there. He has made a highway for us. Heaven will collide with earth on that last day. The new Jerusalem, the city of God will come. And so we wait for it with patience. And so we give thanks today for God's king. And at Christmas time, we celebrate the incarnation of God in the person of Christ as the son who was enfleshed and who has dwelt among us. We celebrate Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. We celebrate all of that this time of year at Christmas. However, our gratitude for his first coming should be exceeded by our longing for his second coming. I'll say that one more time in case you missed it. That our gratitude for his first coming should be exceeded by our longing for his second coming. Is that true of you? As grateful as you are for, for the Christmas, the miracle that Jesus has come into the world, as grateful as you are for that, do you desire with greater intensity for the return of Christ, for the consummation of his kingdom? You see, on the day of his return, yes, it will be a day of terror for Christ's enemies, but it will be a day of celebration for his children, a day of celebration unlike the world has ever seen. So may we long for the return of the king who has made a highway out of the land of oppression and slavery into the land of heaven, of freedom, of rest, the land of promise. You see, Jesus is the promised and glorious Messiah and King. He is the branch who sprouts from the stump of Jesse. He is the spirit-filled Messiah who enacts perfect justice as God's righteous judge. He is the king who brings global supernatural peace. Jesus is the signal. He is the sign for God's people. And he is the highway that carries them into the land of promise. See, this Christmas, may we worship and honor Christ, this long-expected king, and the invitation this morning is to receive him and to honor him with your life. And if you've yet to confess Jesus as your king today, we pray that today you would turn from your sins and trust in this king, God's king, this Christ child, 
And for those of us who have believed upon Christ, may this Christmas be a time of sweet gratitude. May your heart be overflowing with thanksgiving to God for the gift of his son. But may our longing for Christ's return, for that second advent, swell and surge in our hearts as well. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for Christ. Lord, your precious king that you have given to us, a king who has made himself low and meek and humble, who served us to such an extent that he was crucified in our place. Father, we are grateful for King Jesus. We're grateful that you've given us the king that we long for and that we need. And Lord, as grateful as we are for the gift of your son, for the salvation that comes by his blood, Lord, I pray that you would help us with greater longing to desire for his return. Lord, as we live in this broken and fallen world day by day, may we yearn with greater intensity for the consummation of Christ's kingdom. Lord, we know that the flag is up, the ensign is up, the sign is up, and Lord, that you are calling people from all the nations to believe and to receive Christ as their king and as their Lord, and Lord, you're doing that across the globe. Lord, we long for the day, hasten the day, Father, where Christ will return Lord, in which you will wipe every tear from our eyes, in which you would make all things new, in which you would establish his perfect kingdom of justice and peace for all of eternity. Father, we are grateful for Christ. We're grateful for what you are doing through your king. And Father, we pray that we would receive him this morning as Lord and as God, that we would believe upon him. And Father, we pray that we would long for him this Christmas season. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.